Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Cloud Architects Podcast. Joined once again by Nicholas Blank. Hello, Chris. It's so good to be back on the show. Even though it's a little bit cold on my side of the world, I'm delighted to be back on the show with you. I was going to say, you do look like you're a little bit rug- more rugged up than, than usual, but uh, hey, you know, we, we have the heat turned on so high here, I'm, you know, going to start sweating here in a second because, uh, <laughs> you know, that's just how our house always is, like, but uh, also really, really excited today. Um, we have a serious guest today, and if you've listened to episode uh, so 74 and 75, you would have noted we've, we had a little bit of fun on those episodes. It was not as serious as, as, as usual, um, but we're back to being a little bit serious today. We have a serious topic we're going to talk a little bit about, insider risk, and we've invited Zach, Lucy, to, to talk with us about um, insider risk and, and what it is and what it's all about. Zach, do you want to introduce yourself and, and tell the folks uh, kind of who you are and what you do? Absolutely. Thank you, Chris and Nick, for having me on the show. Zach Luzzi, uh, my day job, I lead the data security and also the cloud security practices at Kadelsky Security. We're a, a, a mid-size security consulting, very much security-focused firm. Um, before that, I did things around data security at Deloitte and, and other companies as well. Um, so very excited here. One of my biggest interests over the past couple of years has been insider risk insider threat, trying to figure out what those mean and how companies can actually address those sort of risks. Very excited to be here to chat with you guys about that today. Awesome. Well, I guess let's let's jump in with uh, some, some definitions, right? Because I guess everyone has, you know, as with most things, zero trust and other things like that, everyone sort of, ha- sort of has their definition of, of insider risk and insider threats. Um, they are related but not the same are they and, and sort of what's the difference what are we talking about when we, when we when we hear these terms yes very good question insider risk what we're talking about with insider risk is the sum of the likelihood and the impact of undesirable activities committed by legitimate users so now we have to fork that out a little bit and define a couple more terms um undesirable activity sometimes this tends to go toward data loss. When people think insider threat, insider risk, while the products in the space are focused on data loss, but it can be much bigger than that. Obviously, uh, threats and violence from users, employee to employee, uh, fraud would be one. Um, Administrative disruption or just disruption manipulation in general. You hear about the agitated administrator who leaves a job, leaves a time bomb behind them, goes off in 30 days, does a little DOS attack. That would be an insider uh, threat as well. Um, And then in terms of that, uh, those users, MITRE breaks them down into a few different categories. Uh, You have, again, legitimate users, you have malicious ones, you have people who are doing things accidentally. So that threat term kind of gets a bad name it sounds mean but we acknowledge that it's not always on purpose negligence and then people who miter calls outsmarted um so folks who an external attacker uses for their own purposes maybe fishes their credentials uh, a common misunderstanding that i see is someone will say well if an external attacker compromises your credentials and begins impersonating someone then they're an insider threat no not quite but in that moment that that person is getting outsmarted, they are an insider. So that's that's insider risk. Insider threat is 
those actual people who are going on and committing things. And then from there, we have insider risk management and insider threat detection and response, which are both a little bit different. So I'll stop for a moment. We can dive down into those rabbit holes, uh, but well, let's stop for a moment and then see what we can clear up from that initial definition. Awesome. Well, I mean, I, so I think the first thing that stands out to me in, in sort of that sort of definition is that it it doesn't necessarily have to be a malicious act, right? Or or something that is, um, you know, the, the person who who's leaving and leaving sort of the time bomb or, or what have you. It can be something that is accidental or unintended as well. And that can also be, you know, deemed to be an insider uh, risk, right? Um, folks just not necessarily being educated correctly on how to handle certain circumstances or, you know, don't click the link, those types of things. Absolutely. And in fact, I would say most of the time it is that. And, and what's interesting about insider risk is that at the insider risk level, we aren't necessarily talking about threats just yet. So when I say that, let me define that a little more. Insider risk is composed of various risk drivers. Every organization has insider risk drivers. Um, examples could be uh, how much, how valuable your data is and how liquid it is. So if someone steals it from your company, how easy would it be to sell? Uh, another example of an insider risk driver would be how happy your employees are. If you have more satisfied employees, they're more likely to stay. We know empirically that people who are leaving organizations are the most likely to do undesirable things. So if you have happy people, your insider risk level goes down. Uh, identity and access, the quality of your identity and access management controls, user security training, all this kind of plays in. And this is where the risk management piece really comes in. For each of those risk drivers, you want to think through your risk response. So it becomes a little bit of a governance risk and compliance exercise where you say, all right, I'm a hospital. I have to store a lot of sensitive data, protected health information. Uh, is one of my options to stop storing that data completely? Probably not. So you might have to accept that risk and then go on and address other sort of risk drivers to bring it to an acceptable level. Uh, so where we're going with this is that just because you have an insider risk driver, sometimes we have to accept it. And then sometimes we can move to mitigation. So not only is it accidental, but I'll say that some pieces of your overall insider risk level aren't necessarily things that you can address. Uh, and so it looks different for every organization. I'd like to ask where data leak versus data loss prevention fits uh -huh. into that. Because obviously two very different topics, although they seem to be sometimes um, mistaken for each other, if I can, if I can call it that. Ooh, you're coming. Yeah, you're heading right to some really controversial territory there. And I'm we we do that really well on the show. We're very happy to be controversial. I could tell. Oh, this is fantastic. Um, I'm afraid that data loss prevention, when we have that DLP acronym, has won the battle. Um, but I would, I think I know where your head is going. And if I'm conjecturing correctly, I agree with you that. To me, data loss prevention is perhaps a recovery and backup exercise because we're talking about data being deleted, data being wiped out. 
data leak prevention might be more of what people call data loss prevention today, which is going to be um, someone taking data, putting it on removable media when they shouldn't. Someone sending a bunch of their data to their personal email, to Google Drive, uh, you know, sending it up to an S3 bucket, whatever. There's a, a ton of different ways that people could do this. Both of them have relevance from an insider threat and insider risk standpoint where you could have someone, a legitimate user, who deletes a bunch of your data internally. That could be a problem. Um, what are response processes for that? And then you could also have someone who's sending data where it shouldn't go, the more leakage part. What are our response processes for the? And I think it really illustrates just how broad insider risk is. A problem that I see with a lot of insider risk, insider threat programs is that they tend to take on the form of their maker. And so if you say, hey, um, Nick, you are in charge of our insider threat program and you have been doing DLP data security your entire life. Well, guess what that person, guess what Nick is going to build? He's going to build an extension of the data security program with more UBBA threat detection response bells and whistles. Versus if you have someone who's in physical security, they're going to focus very much on threats, violence, physical things that are happening to, you know, organic matter. Um, and, and that's another problem that I see uh, that that the entire industry is dealing with. So did did I did I guess did I guess your feelings correctly, Nick, or do you have different ideas on data loss versus data? Well, well one one of the things that we we like to talk to customers about is uh, uh, make sure that you're not storing your data for too long, right? Because damn intimidating. Yeah, that, that that has its own risk, and there's a, a reason why. After a while, you want to delete your data, not just for compliance reasons, but also there's a very practical reason not to have long tails of things sitting around when you're guarded against insider risk. It's yeah. not just all uh, litigation protection. Well, yeah, it's a great point. In, in one of my previous organizations, we had two efforts going on. One was a, a data minimization effort where we were going through, we were crawling a lot of our large storage uh, repositories finding data that was just ridiculously, inappropriately, shockingly old. Some of these large organizations have file shares. You'll find data from like 30 years ago. How, what the heck? How is that there? And then finding ways to quarantine it, purge it over time. But then we had a, another um, a parallel process where we were looking for data that everyone had access to, which is also generally inappropriate if it's all let's say a file share or sharepoint but in many cases we were finding that that data that everyone has access to had already been quarantined we were seeing stub files left behind and and so that just goes to show that if you if you're minimizing your data footprint you could have a an instance where someone gets into your environment or you have an insider threat and they're finding all these places that they can access that they shouldn't but there's nothing there for them to do anything with because all that age data is gone so I, I completely agree with you. It's part of a data security strategy. It has to be there. So one of the things that we've been wrestling with, uh, because we've been doing a lot of work with Zero Trust, is, um, or oh, let me let me rephrase this. With Zero Trust, there's a huge emphasis on technology and the things that we're doing and rolling out to implement Zero Trust stuff, 
right through principles and we're doing stuff at the edge we're doing stuff on the endpoint identity and i feel like that one of the things that that keeps on being left behind and i wonder if you share the same frustration is the policy what is our actual policy for doing what we're doing like zero trust networking started out with you can't micro segment without having a policy for micro segmentation and your devices how are they authenticating so that devices are trusted etc all of that has to come through some kind of policy what do you wrestle with when it comes to well i want to address this insider risk thing right uh, what do i switch on right right you know uh i see this all the time with insider risk and insider threat where people they go straight to a technology so they have a cas and they say mm. well let's start blocking people from doing the bad things and my first question is what are the bad things and to know what bad things are have you defined the good things and have you educated people on those and people act like it's obvious what they are but it's really not um a a example would be have you defined where do you want you need to establish good first so if if we're going to pick on data again insider risk is bigger than that but let's pick on data where do you want people to be storing data are you a microsoft shop and you want it to be microsoft um 365 are you google you want it to be a google workspace do you have file shares if so what sort of data needs to be shared there and then from there you can begin to build out where are the bad places where data should never go and where are gray areas let's say we're a microsoft shop but we have a partner who uses Google Workspace. So maybe we're okay with sending data to their Google Workspace that they own, but not the other ones. And until you define that, if you just start going on and popping on policies, you're getting to the point where you're dosing your own people. You're stopping your own people. You, you can easily do more damage than almost any external attacker could do if you aren't thinking through what, what you sh really should be doing. So I run into that, that. I'd say that's one of the most common conversations I have with customers when they want to start building insider risk, insider threat. Is Have we trained our people on what good is and have we made that easy for them to do the right thing? So let's make this practical, Zach. If, if I was going to come to you today and say, hey, Zach, help me with this insider risk thing and you kick back to me saying, all right, let's define a policy and we go, well, you're the cleverest guy in the room around this. Where do we start? We start with conversations and those co and with those conversations, we want to come up with our key insider risk drivers. We don't want to assume the scope of our insider risk program. So let's say, um, you know, I'm talking with someone who manages critical infrastructure, uh, for them, what's most important, it's probably not data loss. It's someone within their organization going and turning off the gas pipeline and robbing an entire region of being able to heat their homes in the winter. And it, that one's kind of obvious, but it's not always so obvious. And so we need to identify what are our key risk drivers and then what's our risk response for each. And this is some of what I was talking about earlier with risk management versus threat detection and response. Those risk uh, remediations or risk responses that we identify for each of those risk drivers, sometimes they could be proactive measures, sometimes they could be user training, and then sometimes it could be, look, we can't come up with a perfect control to prevent this from happening. Then we go to threat detection and response. And then we have insider threat. And now you're talking about things like UEBA, DLP, CASB. Um, I, 
identity monitoring, uh, all those sort of stuff. And what I find is, to your point, a lot of people skip the risk piece, jump straight to insider threat detection and response. You hear a lot of people talk about insider risk, but all they talk about is, well, what UEBA am I going to get? What DLP am I going to get? You're skipping a whole piece. You're skipping a whole piece. So it appears to me that as much as we like AI telling us what's not normal, which is right and fair, because that's what UEB should, should be doing for us, right? So tell me what's outside of the normal. We don't do the, what would we have done before technology? We would have defined a process and then we augment that with technology, right? That's exactly right. Um, if, and w w what happens is, uh, you turn on UEBA in your environment and you start seeing things that are normal versus not normal. But just because something isn't normal, especially at large and complex enterprises, does not mean it's bad. And so one way or the other, you're going to have to go out and start asking questions to people. I find that it's a little easier if you start that a question piece proactively as part of the risk process. And then we can also better define where our real risk drivers are and spend our money in the right way. When it comes to insider risk, we're only gonna have so many resources we can spend. If we decide early on that our risk is X, Y, and Z without having investigated properly, we might go and spend a whole bunch of money on UEBA and then come to find out later on that our money would have been better spent somewhere else. Zach, we find that having a security discussion with a business leader is hard enough. Now, Going down this rabbit trail of insider risk, do you find that it's easier getting airtime with business leaders around this particular topic? Or is this another one of those things that we relegate to the IT department to fix? I find that in many cases, the uh, uh, I think you definitely can. I, I think it, from what I've seen, anecdotally, it is something that business leadership is very open to having. It's a discussion that makes sense to them, especially when you begin to relate it to uh, fraud. If you relate to the right risks of the right department. So you start talking about fraud to the finance department, and yes, they certainly are going to have some controls in their financial statement processes. But if we could tell them, hey, do you need some maybe additional control, some detection and response. We have this UEBA, maybe we could collect logs from your finance system and show you more of what's going on. Very interesting to them. With HR looking for maybe threatening language going on in chat, that could be very interesting to them. I think they're very much open to having that conversation. But we in IT, we're tinkers, we're experimenters. In many cases, we can be a little controlling, right? Um, and so it, the insider threat piece really appeals to us because oh, I just got this Microsoft E5 license. Look, I have this product called Insider Risk Management within Microsoft. Oh, I can turn it on. I can mess with things. And so that's the route we end up going. We don't, not necessarily the let's talk with our partners from across the business. That's fair. Chris? I, so, I, yeah, I have, you mentioned earlier, you talked about sort of third party uh, and partnerships, you know, I, use the example of Google Drive, you know, in an N365 environment, things like that. But what about just uh, third parties as threats, right? So you do all of this work to educate your 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 users, your own internal, you know, full-time staff, 
but then you have a bunch of contractors who are coming in with their own, you know, Alienware laptops or what have you, right, into an environment, would they also be considered, you know, those sort of contractors and, and um, third-party vendors that you work with, would they also be considered a, an insider threat, risk? I think they have to be. And they're much trickier because, to your point, you can't necessarily, and this, again, this is where technology can fall short in many cases. If you take a very tech-heavy, tech-only approach to insider, then are you going to be able to get logs off of their machine? Um, maybe, maybe not. Are you going to be able to put your detective uh, software on their machine? I don't know. And so then it becomes very much a people and a process exercise of how are we vetting these folks? Um, how are we educating them? Are we able to do that? But yes, if you don't include contractors and, and other third parties as well as part of this profile, you have a massive backdoor from an insider perspective. And does that sort of spin off into a vendor management process as it becomes bigger? If you have vendors that are then handling your data in their environments, where's the delineation between something that is a, an insider issue that you worry about versus you know a vendor management problem where you actually be, you have to be vetting the compliance of other organizations that you work with? Right. Insider risk and insider threat both are I've said this word too many times. You're going to have to stop me from saying it anymore. After this is my last time. They're boundary spanning and they connect into other security verticals. Um, and so from an insider risk standpoint, you might identify that third party risk management is you don't have good practices around there. So that's something you need to get better at. So you might put it on your insider risk roadmap, but insider risk is not going to address that problem that's going to go over to your whoever is in charge of third-party risk management vendor management with insider threat insider threat is very interesting in how it can interact with other security verticals because it becomes an engine for you to identify problems in your other security verticals and respond to them for example let's say we start seeing a lot of our sensitive as part of our insider threat detection response program. We start seeing a lot of protected health information going out of the organization. Now, one answer to that could be, well, we need to get better at our data security controls to prevent it from going out. But the other, the other piece we might look at is how the heck are all these people getting access to PHI? And so then we can go in, we're, we're sort of validating how effective our identity and access management uh, uh, vertical is, and there should be a feedback loop between what insider threat is seeing and all of our other security verticals, departments, if you're a small organization and you don't have specific departments within security, then it's just, you know, kind of those silos in your head um, that, that demarcate everything. There should be a feedback loop from insider threat into all these other pieces to make them better. It, it occurs to me, you know, as we've been talking through this, that a lot of the stuff becomes a problem the will grow as an organization as well, right? If you're a if you're a small enough organization where everyone's family and, you know, everyone's on a first name basis, then for one, you know, folks are generally happy and loyal and, and you know, they're helping build something, right? But as the organization grows, that's also when you get into the territory of, well, you're just a number, um, mm -hmm. and and, you know, keeping folks happier is is probably a lot more difficult when you don't, you know, drink beers with the CEO every Friday night, right? Or whatever the 
the case is. So it seems to me like as the as the organizations grow, this becomes a lot more of a difficult problem to deal with. I I think that's completely legitimate. Uh, low trust. You have a lower trust environment. Uh, many of the organizations I've worked with, uh, even people within the security department don't talk to each other. You have a 300 person security department. I'm on, you know, the threat intelligence team. I reach out to someone in identity and access management and they're saying, why are you reaching out to me? Are you're stepping into our, this is what we control. This is our responsibility. Um, and, and so, yes, I completely agree with you. And I'll add to that, that larger organizations, you won't have one single person who understands what everyone else in the business is doing and how they're trading data. And so that's where insider threat detection and response becomes very useful because you hear this term, you know, data discovery. Let's know all of our data. Let's know where it's going. A large organization, that's impossible. You're, you, can, you can get better at it, but you're never going to know everything. Insider threat with kind of that UEBA approach can help because then you're just looking for strange things and you're prioritizing them and responding to them. And so I'd say for, for large organizations, uh, that insider threat muscle becomes really important for them to deal with those ambiguities that you're talking about, Chris. Interesting. Lots to unpack and lots to kind of think about here as, uh, you know, if you're, if you're a business, um, or you work, you know, obviously for a business, for a company that's, that's growing, um, yeah, conversations, right? That's where you start is, is talk about, talk about things. Um, so that's, that's a super right. valuable tip. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and another thing that I, I think is, um, interesting too, when, when I look at, so let's, you know, maybe, uh, where is insider threat going as it's, as it's evolved, right? Um, I, I think to me, one is establishing a framework that people can use to build that insider threat detection and response practice. So I've been mentioning MITRE a little bit. And I think MITRE was somewhat, the MITRE attack framework was somewhat revolutionary for security operation centers when dealing with external threats because we can mm. look at what are all the tactics and techniques that our adversaries could be using, which ones based on our likely threat actors do we need to be good at, and what are we good at and what are we not? I find that with insider threat, there's really not that established framework out there. And so people become very reactive in that program where they are um, building what they think makes sense from a detection standpoint. And then people, insiders, start finding ways to get around it. And it's always a surprise because they don't have that framework of techniques and tactics to look at to say, all right, I have established a baseline, but what are ways people could get around my detection mm -hmm. technologies? Could they, for instance, a, a lot of programs will have, they'll say, we're only going to monitor email going to outbound if it's over, let's say, half a meg, because we don't want to look at all of it as too much noise. What if someone figures that out and then they start sending out attachments that are only, you know, point three or, you know, 30% of a meg, right? Um, 300 kilobytes. Or what about if someone starts tampering with your DLP technology that's on their endpoint? They start finding ways to shut it off. Have you thought about that? Uh, and so that's that's a big opportunity I see right now is developing frameworks specifically for insider threat to make sure we're actually 
covering all of our bases. Chris, I, I want to ask um, a question to the collective that we are here. We, we're talking about insider threat and insider risk. Like uh, um, we know what it is and we care about it because we do, right? But if we take a step back and we look at a small, medium, large org, and you hinted towards this when we're in a small team, we all love each other and we wouldn't do anything to hurt each other. But like, why do we even care about this topic outside of maybe the legal or the compliance sense? What? Yeah, so why, why does insider risk matter outside of legal and compliance? Because within legal and compliance, that's where that's really where we're going to be responding to people being mean to each other, making showing to some sort of external authority. Yeah, we did think about this. We had insider risk programs in play. And so if something does happen, we can kind of cover ourselves. Yeah. Chris, Chris what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I was going to say, I think also um, every part of the business has some way or re relies on every other part of the business, right? So if you work in IT and, um, you know, you accidentally or, or deliberately go and delete all the user accounts in your active directory, right? Like that's, that could be a real problem for the business. And that downtime obviously costs money. And, 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 uh, especially if it's something that, uh, you know, you haven't planned for and you don't have the appropriate, um, backups and recovery mechanisms in place. Right. And, and I think similarly, like every, if you look at other parts, if you look at marketing, I mean, marketing can do stuff that, that really tanks, you know, Budweiser is the perfect example of in, in <laughs> was that, that good point. Was that, was that an insider threat? <laughs> inadvertence right <laughs> um we, we won't dig into that one any any anymore <laughs> uh but you know what i mean like every part of the business has the potential to cripple or really harm every other part of the business and so i guess that's why you probably want to think about it uh, holistically across the, the environment and 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 um you know everyone make sure that you know you understand the risk across all of the uh the environment so zach what i wanted to ask you is you know we talked about getting started here and, and like having the conversation. There's a policies and, and things like that, but what about from a technical perspective, right? If we now we, we, we've, we've gone through, we've talked about policy, we understand what we're trying to achieve, or at least where we want to focus. What are some of the technical tools that we can, we can sort of rely on? Cause I feel like the technology to 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 help with this is probably not as you know as um uh, as far removed or, or most folks probably already have access to some of the stuff as part of their subscriptions but they're probably not even using it right that's a great point and i'm, I'm glad you brought that up and, and so the, the first thing i'll mention is that the technology that you choose uh to be the insider threat detection response arm of the broader insider risk program it needs to be aligned with whatever you identified your chief risk drivers are. Um, so that, that's the first piece. But from a common perspective, you know, for the vast majority of organizations, I think they'll find that their, their chief source of insider risk is data loss. So we'll pick on that. Um, a lot of folks, they immediately go to some sort of SIM UEVA brain that can bring in multiple different logs. And advanced programs have that. Uh, but we'll, a great place to start would be email. 
So most email solutions you have are going to have some basic DLP in place where you can say, look for certain types of sensitive information like PII or PHI being sent outbound. Or you could say, look for attachments that are being sent to personal webmail. Um, another example would be thinking through SharePoint um, or some of your main repositories, seeing data being shared externally. Removable media is another one. All these things are, uh, you know, if you have an E3 license, Google Workspace, if you're using that as well, just some really basic licenses in place, you can start getting visibility. And with that visibility, you start identifying things happening that shouldn't. You start reacting with, you start building escalation processes, bringing it to the right people, start building preventative controls. And over time, you're able to show the value of your program. We caught this many number of this many incidents uh, based on the sort of data that people were sending outbound. Uh, this is how much damage it could have caused had we not reacted to it. And then you can justify further spend going forward. Uh, but it's not just that it could be, it, it, um, you know, certain identity software that you have, parts that things that come with Azure AD. There's a lot of technology out there, and, and I find every organization has what they need to start their program already. I think that's a good point, right, is you can get started with what you have, and you don't have to basically have right. a Rolls Royce from day one. Get started with what you have. Start understanding the landscape. Start understanding you know, the use cases, the risks, all of those things, and then grow it, right? I think I think that we're kind of in this, in this world where a lot of organizations still believe that uh, they don't believe in, in in a program, right? Something that is going to be cyclical and is going to just continue to evolve. They they want the solution to every single problem. They want it now. They want one switch to click or, or, or you know to push on, and and that they just want it fixed, and then want to walk on walk away and go to the next problem. But I feel like we're in this world now where there isn't, we don't have that anymore. Everything that we do has to be constantly kind of reevaluated to make sure that it still meets the requirements that we had for it yesterday um, and and continue to evolve to the challenges and the threats that we have, you know, coming down the pipe tomorrow. Um, and so there's this, it's got to be a program. It's got to be something that continues to mature, right? Um, but don't, yeah. don't try and go to the end of the maturity model. Start with what you got right now and grow it. Yes, completely agree. That, that really resonated with what you said with me, the, the, programmatic approach because it's easy to hop into the the technical element of it oh i want to block removable media or alert users who are putting data on usb drives so that they maybe rethink it but there's a lot that goes into that what do you want the user experience to be what are your what are your key performance indicators have you mapped those have you gotten consensus around it what's your deployment plan communications someone's going to need an exception one day what does that process look like? Is it a service now ticket? Is it an email? Who approves it? Who reviews it? Honestly, for, for all these things, the people and process side of it is to me much more challenging. Yeah. Than and the more friction you create to the user experience, ultimately you get to a point where you yeah. just, just go, you know what, I can't actually do my job anymore or this is too hard for me. I'm gonna go go work somewhere where it's easier, right? I wanna, I wanna go somewhere that, that has Google or I, you know what I mean? Like. The, the more the more barriers you put in we're not in the you know in in a 
sort of the workforce anymore where people just join a company and stay there for 35 years and then retire with a gold watch. Like it's just not how it happens anymore. They, um, the retention of talent is a big problem, right? Not only in tech, but I think across all industries. Um, so yeah, the more friction you put in. So I, it's a good point. Like you got to think about people, the process behind it and bringing those users along with you on the journey. Cause otherwise, well, we just talked about it, right? You turn them into insider threats because they give a thing and become unhappy with what they do. Well, I mean, you, you think about, and this is why it's, it's hard to come up with a commodity package for what insider threat, insider risk looks like at every organization. You think about an organization like a bank, very top down, hierarchical, um, people very regulated. And so people might expect that I get this machine. It is not from the corporation. It's not my own. They're going to block me from going to like half the internet versus a small tech firm, mm -hmm. um, where their core competencies are about being agile, flexible, being able to use their favorite platform, bring that with them. If you start blocking them from doing certain things, take a very dogmatic approach to your point, Chris, they'll just leave. I've seen it before. I was with a company previously, we brought on uh, a small uh, new startup and they got our laptops and then they realized they couldn't use all their favorite development environments and people, they started leaving. They were so mad about it. They were like, I'll go to a new startup that lets me do this thing. I completely agree. It's true. I, I, I had a question for you, Zach, because clearly this is something that you do and it's easy for you to do. It's easy for you to talk about. And I'm thinking about the, the listener or the viewer on this episode who says, man, Zach knows a lot of stuff. Like, do I go to NIST and find the, the same rules for insider risk management that I find with, I don't know, like the, the five, five rules of, of dealing with breach management or the five stages of breach management, right? So w where do people start on this topic? Yes. Because it's not like there's a standards body that's defined things, right? It, it, yes, there, there really isn't. There's something that I'll get to in a moment. One thing I'll say that you should not do. Do not do this. Do not get your idea of what insider risk management is from the vendors. So a lot. this is a heavily vendor-driven market. Gartner has recently defined the platform of an insider risk management platform. I don't like the name. You look at them all, they're all insider threat detection and response. An insider risk management platform is basically an Excel spreadsheet, right? Like it's, an, it's a GRC tool, but their tools are like finding bulk uploads and off-hour stuff. Look, I'm not, I'm not dissing on the tools. A lot of them are really good tools. Microsoft has one too. They're good tools. But they are going to, what they're going to outline to you is something that fits their tools capabilities. Sure. A good place to start though is, I think it's, insiderthreat.mitre.org insider threat is work or mitre is working on this they have a lot of great content on that site they are working on a closed source framework they haven't published it to my knowledge as soon as they do i'm all over it um but a lot of good stuff on there to read through and digest if you're getting started with this and so what you're saying is you can't just go buy insider threat management version 2.0 Right, and then maybe they'll throw in zero trust. <laughs> Which you certainly try for you. Yeah, <laughs> you can certainly try. And if that works out for you, let me know, and I'll change my entire pitch. I mean, from a consulting perspective, that'd be way easier for me. I'd love that. 
if I could just see a client and say, you know what, I'm going to bring in this vendor and I'll throw in some of my hours on top of it. And you're going to be great. I wish that were the case. That'd be fantastic for me. Easy money. Well, well suck. That's, that's awesome. I think that's some really good guidance there as to like where to start, where to look for um, guidance, you know, for someone who doesn't have immediate access to your, your brain and your knowledge. Um, so great, great guidance there for, for everyone. And I'll pop some of that stuff in the show notes as well so everyone can kind of get to it. Um, as we start sort of wrapping up, um, I wanted to check with you if there was anything, anything else that you kind of wanted to, I guess, uh, plug or, um, you know, put in front of the, the listeners or the, or the audiences, uh, you know, um, a knowledge base for them or anything like that, uh, that you haven't already talked about that you want to, or social media. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Socials. How do you want to be found? Anything that's important to you, internal, external causes. Yes. Um, so I, I, Reiterate again, insider risk and insider threat are both different, distinct. Uh, try to start on the risk side if you can. Um, other than that, I think we covered it all. Uh, this is a conversation we can have for much longer, but I think we got a lot of essentials, so hopefully, hopefully it was helpful for your listeners. Um, for me, I, I, I'm kind of a Luddite with social media. I don't have much out there, but I am on LinkedIn, so you can find me. There aren't very many Zach Luzies in the world, so Zach Luzy, L-U-Z-E on LinkedIn. Uh, you'll find me. Be, would love to connect, um, have conversations with folks. Uh, always happy to do that. Nice. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for, for your time. Really appreciate you coming on. Um, again, we've we've done the impossible with three very, very different time zones today. <laughs> yeah. So, so it, it, where are you? Where are you I'm at? in Cape Town. I'm in Cape Town, South Africa. Okay, that's fantastic. So we got Australia, South Africa, and old Chattanooga, Tennessee. Chattanooga, Tennessee. That's it. So uh, yeah, we've done it. We've done it again. So it's it's always great when we can make these work. So thanks for coming on, and really appreciate you taking time before you start your day. Really enjoyed the conversation today, Nick. It was great meeting you, and and thanks for having. Thank you so much, Seth. Cheers. Hey everyone, before you go just wanted to say thank you for listening we really enjoy putting this podcast together for you every two weeks please visit us at thearchitects.cloud or alternatively drop us a tweet we'd love to hear what you have to say at the cloud arc.